Hey everybody, we're back. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. We are the Evangelicals. Today we're talking about things that um, are very polarizing politically and just want to give a uh, kind of a caveat up front that we, we understand that. But these are things that people are talking about and the whole point of our podcast is to try to help people think critically with a Christian lens. And so as people who understand ourselves to be under the lordship of Jesus primarily, first off, over against any other principality or even familial connection, we're we're going to have a conversation as Christians in America about some of the things that are going on in the world. Uh, Jeremy, will you start us off? There's an article in Christianity Today well, some situ- some stuff happening with Christianity today that we want to address today. Yeah, and unfortunately, I feel like that conversation is becoming harder and harder to have as Christians about just good conversations, not heated conversations, not um, – anyways. So, yeah, in Christianity Today, there was an article and um, that, that was put out by the editor-in-chief, I think, first, and it basically just said that all that, that Donald Trump has done – he probably should be removed from office, just morally, um, and, and and that it probably he it, it rises to the level of as a Christian that we would look at it and say he doesn't serve probably the interest of Jesus that we would say as best as can be done. Well, man, the you know holy hell. Sorry, I don't know if I could say that on this podcast, but no, it's fine. We're not censored to that extent. <laughs> broke loose and. People like Franklin Graham and um, just a lot of your conservative evangelicals, and I think even President Trump tweeted about Christianity Today. I mean, imagine that, that that he felt, called it this far-left liberal magazine, which if you look at traditionally at Christianity Today, it is nowhere close to being a far-left progressive magazine. A very lovely, moderate, yeah. Christian periodical. Right. And the thing that I learned is um, Billy Graham, Franklin's father— uh, started Christianity Today, and so I felt I felt like he had felt the need to do a lot of things to try to cover some ground, and and it was just interesting that this author wrote an, an opinion, wrote uh, a, an editorial, and and all of a sudden now Christianity Today is this liberal progressive magazine because I think that made people feel better to put them in that box that pigeonhole them. Well, then later the president of the magazine came out. A lot of people were dropping subscriptions. A lot of people were saying, I don't want anything to do with Christianity today. But on the flip side, a lot of people were like, well, hey, maybe this magazine does care about being, you know, Christian over against critically thinking about this whole thing. And so they they got a lot of subscribers as well. And um, so it was just this interesting dialogue between people of this magazine who, like I said, put tried to put forth this biblical. This is who we think people are to be, um, and we don't look at the president any different. I don't think we don't think God looks at the president any different. And so, if we're holding others to the standard or this this understanding about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we see things that President Trump has done that would potentially go against those things, how do we how do we continually turn the turn the turn our head away from those things? And, and so, they really spoke and. And it wasn't, he's like, we're not trying to create a rift. This is just, as we look at the situation, 
as a Christian, as somebody who once again follows Jesus, I think that potentially he should be removed from office of, of being the president. Something that I have noticed in my own personal relationships recently is the principle of loyalty that we have in our culture and in society today. And maybe it's always existed. Maybe I'm just noticing it as I'm growing older in the world. But loyalty is something that's really important to people. And once people commit to something, they tend to want to defend themselves on the topic or the relationship to which they've chosen to be loyal. So oftentimes people who have siblings who commit heinous crimes, for example, they have a hard time talking negatively about that person because they say, you know, this is my brother, this is my sister, you know. This is definitely the case oftentimes for parents, mothers in particular, right? Um, but it's definitely the truth about politics that if we vote for someone, we feel like we owe it to them somehow to defend them or defend that decision. You know, very rarely do you find anyone in public saying, you know what I did back then? That was wrong. Right. And I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's like we have this inability in our culture to look at things culturally. I understand why a lot of Christians voted for Donald Trump. There are so many reasons. James Dobson wrote a very compelling piece encouraging evangelical Christians to vote for Donald Trump, talking about the Supreme Court. And like, furthermore, when he was elected, I think that fresh in people's minds was what had happened in the Supreme Court with marriage. And there's kind of this fear and this idea of what is becoming of a country that we thought was predominantly Christian. I don't fault anybody for voting for any president. Just because I understand when you, when you go to the voting booth, you have particular things in your mind, right? But what's what's fascinating to me is for my friends and family members that voted for Donald Trump, what has happened is it's like there's this complete inability to see anything negatively or critically that is going on in the world right now. And and to to talk about him in a negative way. And I think that's kind of what's happened here with the Christianity Today article is that so many people have a difficult time even reading critically the lines of the article. It's all about reading between the lines because at the end of the day, you're talking negatively about, as I hear so many people saying, my president, right? And the, the thing is, as Christians, I firmly believe that if, if Paul were here, he would say to us, wait a second, you don't have a president. You're a Christian. The only allegiance that is worth your time in this life is the allegiance to Christ. There's no such thing as Christian nationalism. You can't do that. Christianity has always, around the world, has been a movement of faith that follows one particular leader who did not bring in a political regime change. 
I want to I want to move into talking about the Iran situation. Do you have anything else you want to say about the Christianity Today, the article, and just? No, I just wish, like you said, I, another article just came out, which was interesting, not from Christianity Today, but it just seems that, and maybe, maybe not, but it seems like the reason most people voted for Donald Trump was the abortion issue and the conservative values that center around the abortion As far as issue. like conservative evangelical exactly. Christians are concerned. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because there's a lot of other people. Again, there are a lot of other, there are a lot of people that voted for him for a lot of different reasons. I mean, even liberals, Bernie Sanders people voted for Donald Trump because the reason they were voting for Bernie, wanted Bernie to win so bad is because they just wanted a guy that was anti-establishment. And once, Ber- once Hillary got the nod, a lot of Democrats were like, you know what? I wanted, I wanted to, Anti-establishment. All I wanted was anti-establishment. So I'm going to vote for Trump. Right. And now they're thinking to themselves like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know that he was going to be completely hijacked by the evangelical Christians. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I guess, yeah, that's a better clarifier that most conservative evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump because of the platform. I heard a lot of people say, I don't like all the things that he does. I don't like him on Twitter, but I have to vote for him because of the platform of the conservative yeah, Republican yeah, yeah. Party. Sure. What's so interesting is an article just came out that said, um, which is fascinating to me, but this year Planned Parenthood had more abortions ever in one year and received more government funding ever than any other year. Previously. And previously since they started tracking I had not heard that. abortion rates. And which once again is just like, okay, so how do we as Christians have better conversations rather than just saying, we're going to just jump into this and, and, and pushing people who may have a critical view of the president, a critical understanding, a critical perspective to say, hey, listen, we are against this as well. However, what are other ways that we can get at some of these issues? And so what happens is when you say things like that, or you post something on Facebook that may just say, hey, I'm not saying anything about the policies. I'm just saying, from my perspective, looking at the, the person, and then even looking at some of the things that, that has happened, what is our, how do we have a, a broader perspective than just you have to vote for this person because it's the conservative Republican? And to me, the Christianity Today brought that to light of that whole, I got to defend this person because... They're going to give us the conservative judges. They're going to give us this whole thing. And as Christians, we are to be making the world a better place, not through political um, avenues, but through loving neighbor and and being who God has called us to be where he's called us to be. So I just found intriguing. You know what I'm saying? The one issue, and yet here we are three years in in Planned Parenthood, which most conservative evangelical Christians would be vehemently opposed to is somehow thriving more in the midst of, of where we find ourselves. Yeah, which is so sad. And I, I mean, this is not a podcast about abortion. Right. But again, I mean, Christians historically have had an approach to helping with the abortion issue that has nothing to do with politics from the very beginning. It's been adoption and bringing in unwed mothers. Right. I mean, this this is how you, this is how you solve the abortion issue is you give you give young mothers a safe place and safe alternative to have their children and you commit to raising them. But the fact of the matter is evangelical Christians, we don't want to, we don't want to adopt children. We don't want to mess up our, we don't want to inconvenience our, inconvenience our lives. And if you really want to solve that issue, the best way to solve it is by taking care of an unwanted child and an unwanted mother that's pregnant, right? I mean, 
That's that's the Christian ethic of again. This is not about abortion. I want to talk about Iran. Let's do it. Is that okay? So, in retaliation to an attack on an international attack on Americans, we, the United States of America, uh, killed Soleimani, who was a general in uh, the Iranian government. He was like he was director of um, their military, I think. And the Iranians are um, very upset about this. Uh, this is not an apples for apples killing in the sense of, um, I mean, all human life is valuable, but in the sense of kind of rank and prestige, the Americans that died are not kind of equal in the sense of like um, scope of um, uh, like military or a national importance to this individual that was killed. And so the Iranians are very, very, very upset. A couple of days ago, I made one of the largest public mistakes I've ever made in my life. I, wow. I posted on Facebook about this, <laughs> which the thing is I've got an account, but I don't do a lot on it. And so I don't understand how it works. I think I understand how it works a lot better now. Twitter is the much safer place. Yeah, to... it's nice because you just kind of <laughs> tweet your thing. You kind of like tweet your thing and like people can like it or just unfollow you or like, you know. So so I I write about I write about this. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of Christians talking about how glad they are that we killed this guy. And killing – he was a bad dude. He did some bad things. Let's not – you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm not he's, – he's definitely not the savior. <laughs> I mean it's far from it. But I, I posted – so everybody's talking about how glad they are that this guy's dead and how he was, you know, evil and this terrible, terrible person. Um, and I posted, I said, you know, I'm hearing a lot of Christians talking about how glad we are about this guy being killed. But the fact of the matter is he was a son. He was a father. Um, and although we see this as kind of justice, that we kill a man who was maybe a killer— I think that we should just reflect on the fact that all of us are killers, that we all murdered our brothers and sisters daily with our hate and with our rage, and that we all stand passively by in the crowd yelling crucify as Jesus is crucified. Um, and then I ended the post by saying we all are a part of this world problem of killing. And I, I just got – I got blasted. I got blasted by um, conservatives kind of wanting to give me a – a lesson in the importance of the United States being the world sheriff. I um, got blasted by people talking about how incredibly evil this was and like to give him any sense of humanity was like, was, was, was terrible and pathetic. And I obviously was incredibly ignorant and naive. Right. So I, I mean, I took the, I took the post down just because it was, Oh, it, it turned nasty. And then you got people kind of that felt like they needed to defend me, which I don't really feel the need to be defended on the internet ever. But, you know, your friends do this. I mean, it was it was a scream, man. It was, an, it was absolute madness on Jonathan's Facebook page. But the thing, the thing that I've been thinking about because of this whole situation with Iran is several things. One of them is international relations and perception. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to go live in Sicily for a couple of months. For those of you who don't know where Sicily is, it's the large island, which is right off of the boot of Italy, and it's actually a part of Italy. It's been overrun by about every great world power 
in the West over the last 2,000 years. I mean, these people have such a mixed identity who are Sicilians. I mean, they weren't even Italian originally, right? But they're a part of Italy now. And I was I was walking down the street one day in Palermo, and one of the guys I was walking with introduced me to an elderly gentleman, a very elderly gentleman from the town, and he told him I was an American. And the man started crying, and he hugged me, and he said, I love America, which I was kind of shocked by. And I, and I said, well, you know, tell me why. And he said, I remember as a little boy when we were scared to death and we were starving as Mussolini was suppressing us. I remember the day the American troops walked through Palermo and a soldier saw me and he walked over to me and pulled out of his pocket a piece of candy. I mean, I could get emotional just thinking about this. He pulled out of his pocket a piece of candy and I hadn't had a piece of candy in years. And that was the day that I realized things were like things were going to be okay, and I, and I just every every time in my life that I've met an American, I've just hugged them and I've said thank you, and I was blown away. Huh. Kind of that that idea of being a force for good in the world. I mean, the Nazi regime was as evil as a regime could be. People don't even comprehend the the level, the magnitude of evil that was in the world. That the United States, Great Britain. Many people around the world helped helped expel, right? But then, you know, so there's this guy's perspective of America, right? But then a lot of young people that I met while I was living in Europe for those couple of months, their commentary on the United States was, who the heck do you guys think you are? Like, why do you have to get involved in every international affair? Like, why are you guys running the world? Like, why don't you just leave us all alone? Why don't you just go home? I don't understand why you have a base here in Sicily. Like, what's the point? Do you really think that we're posing a threat to you? You know, and and this is this is a this is a perspective. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying whether or not it's right. I'm just saying like these are the polarities of perspectives in the world concerning the United States. And one of the things that I don't think that we think about as citizens of the United States is the perspective or the stories that are being told about us around the world. Because the history of the world really is a story of people's rising up over against those who are suppressing them. And one of the things that I fear, I don't, I hope not to live in fear, but is that, that we would, with our international relations, make people resent us so much that they perceive us in a way that people perceived the Germans. There came a point in World War II, which I don't, I don't think we're even close to there right now, but, I, but I'm just saying like, the world for for generations after World War II just completely despised Germany. They just hated them. Even though every child that was born after 1945 had absolutely nothing to do with what had happened in Germany. Even now, there is a stain on that country. They are very careful in that country with international relations because they recognize who they were perceived to be in the world. And I just think to myself about this whole situation with Iran – I wonder, like, how careful are we being in cultivate, cultivating a perception of goodwill, of goodness in the world, so that we might still have an opportunity to be that voice, kind of that, uh, I don't know, big brother, sheriff, uh, the, 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 the ones in the world who are, I don't know, trying to make sure that there is a sense of international justice. I think what... Maybe a way the way that I would quant qualify what you're talking about is is context. I 
think that as Americans, we don't understand context and other cultures and other situations and how... So I was talking to... Um, I was telling you a little bit about this before we got started. I was talking to a guy, and he he works for the Army, um, and his job is to say, goes to, he travels the world, he'll show up, talk to people, and he says, I'm the what if guy. He's like, so if this country responds this way, what is our response to that? And so they just try to think of every scenario. Says he goes to DC a lot, they play war games, actually play, where they pick sides. And I'll make a move with the nation that I'm being, with the resources that I have, and that this is a legit response. And then they'll make a move and they just do it over and over and over again. So I asked him, I said, so... If we as Americans actually knew all the things that were happening around the world, would we sleep at night? And he goes, honestly, he said, Mer- Americans find out just about everything that's going on. He's like, it comes out maybe a month later or two months later. He's like, but honestly, politically, all those stories benefit some political agenda of what people are trying to push. He's like, so you hear just about everything that goes on or you can find it in BBC or, you know what I'm saying, some of the the more reputable news Mm. organizations. He said, but what people don't understand is the context of why those things are happening. And he says, if people understood that the reason Iran did this or, uh, you know, the U.S. did this or Syria was making this move, they understood the context and what was happening in that culture and in that area. He's like, that's what people, people would have more understanding. He's like, but every time we get stories here in America, it always has a spin that's going to benefit my agenda or whatever. He's like, and we really don't understand. And I think that's what's with this Iranian story. I think that that's what is most troubling maybe, or where we feel like we're kind of up in the air and not really knowing what's going on because we don't know the situation. You know, we're, we're being told that there was a plot that this guy was going to carry out against American soldier. You know, we're, we're told all this, but we haven't been shown that that was really the context. It's kind of like when Bush invaded Iraq, right? We were told this was what was going on. There was these weapons, weapons of mass destruction turned out not to be true. And so I think what's what's interesting is we we think the world works like, I heard one guy say it like this, we get in trouble when we think my world is the world. That the way I view things, the way I experience the world, the way I interact with the world is how everybody experiences and interacts and 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 views the world and when we can't take a step back and say these two different scenarios you know in Italy were from two different world con you know what I'm saying two different perspectives on American troops two different ages and so I think we would do better as Christians of, of trying to understand okay this happened but why now you know what I'm saying and to me those are the better questions to ask is, Rather than just celebrating, and maybe, like I said, I'm not saying yes or no, but maybe, maybe it was the right move. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we don't know because we we don't understand what was going on. What did they have intel on what he was going to do? Yeah. And I'm not saying right or wrong, but it's hard to make that assumption. But Christians ought to, or not just Christians, but people automatically celebrate because of past. Um, past things, I guess. Does that make sense? Jeremy, well, I think what you're saying is a very, you're giving a very Christian perspective. It's humility to say, you know what? I actually don't know. I don't know if the killing of Salmani was the best thing for the world. I don't know. I can't know. Right. I mean, (laughs) I don't have the whole story. Right. But it's amazing to listen to people talk about the situation 
as if they have the whole story. None right. of us have the whole story. <laughs> right. So how can you confidently say that the killing of anyone is the best thing? But I think it goes back to the the tribalism or the my guy made this decision, so I'm going to support him no matter what, even if I don't know the whole situation. I'm going to just throw my lot into that basket, whole suck, yeah. stock and sell, because yeah. my president, as you said, made this decision, so it must have been the right decision, rather than just saying, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It could have been, but but how am I to know what was actually, you know what I'm saying? Maybe this guy was going to the 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee or something. And- probably, probably not. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about, about Islam. I don't know that we talk much. I don't know that we understand conservative, faithful Islam and that we have a very charitable perspective of it. Because I think that when we think conservative Islam, we think radical Islam, especially because of 2001 of the World Trade Center attack. And those individuals were definitely painted as jihadists who were doing this for the sake of Allah. A majority of conservative, faithful, praying Muslims are people of peace. They're also people of propriety. When I was studying in Chicago, I had the opportunity to to befriend a young Muslim lady who was in my cohort at Chicago. And she was just a peach. I mean, just a sweet, sweet person. And one of the, the saddest parts of her of living in the United States is um, when she would, you know, she was, she was a very conservative Muslim and she would wear her head covering. And she said, you know, the stories that people believe about me because they see me are just, they're just so incorrect. Like nobody has the whole story. But living, you know, in America after in, in the Midwest after um, 2001, you just you just kind of understand that you're going to be misunderstood because the biggest story is the story of the of the radicals. What we don't think about in the United States as conservative Christians is the way that people perceive is the way that conservative Muslims consider Americans. So conservative faithful Muslims have a high priority of marriage. They also have a a high priority of um, sexual propriety. Like the idea, um, modesty is really, really important. So when conservative Muslims look at the United States and they see our billboards of women in bikinis, they think to themselves, these people are godless. When they look at us electing Donald Trump, who has had multiple wives and multiple affairs and children from different women, that we as Christians lift him up and say, this is our guy. They look at us and say, they are completely godless. Muslims don't perceive Americans as good, wholesome, righteous people. They perceive us, maybe in some ways realistically, as godless, as um, sexually explicit, as violent military people. I mean, th- this is this is their perspective of us, you know, and so we have we have such an we have such polar opposite views of each other. Well, maybe even similar similar views of each other, and it's so sad that neither of us, just generally speaking, have a generous perspective 
on the other culture, on the other religion. And we're going to continue to have these problems until we can generously talk about the the other, the person from the other country, the person from the other religion. And this is why Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, because the Samaritan was the person of the kind of cultic cultish religion that nobody really wanted anything to do with, you know, yeah. you stayed away to, from Samaria, you know, you didn't, you didn't fraternize with those people. And I, as I, as I just listen to us talking about the Iranian situation, I hear so many people making generalizations that are based on a worldview that whether or not it's true, there are elements of it that are true. I don't want to argue with, but the the worldview in America is definitely overall not not generous or compassionate towards people who wake up every day trying to do what's best for their children, for their spouses, for their homes, and for their communities. And maybe maybe this is a question, maybe not an answer, but what would a response of Christians to be? Once again, maybe it was the right move. Maybe that's what needed to happen. But shouldn't it sadden us that that needed to happen? Like, shouldn't we hurt for for people? Uh, I had a my twelfth grade English teacher. Like at the time, I didn't appreciate what she did every day when the bell would ring. But now I understand what she was trying to do more and more. Every day the bell would ring for class to start, and she would always say, without fail, "Don't ask for whom the bell tolls; it tolls for thee." And I was like, oh, that's weird. Well, then I did a little more investigation that it's this, this is a poem, comes from a poem yeah. from this guy named John Doan, which in that time, when people would die, the church bell would ring, signaling that somebody in the community had passed away. And, and, and John was trying to say, hey, as humanity, we're all connected. He, and, and part of the poem says, no man is an island. We're all just part of the main, pieces of, of the main. And, and so when he says, don't ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Because when the bell would ring, oh, I wonder who who died. Who who did the bell toll for? And his his point was, um, I think even in the poem somewhere it says, "Every man's death diminishes me, makes me less because because we're all connected. We're all created by God." And and so, what would a, would it have been a better response as Christians to say, maybe this needed to happen? It's kind of like Bonhoeffer plotted a, a, an, an assassination on Hitler, but yet he struggled with it. It wasn't like, let's go do this. It was it was more of a, I think this is the right thing, but I just don't know that this is what Jesus would have. You know, and, and as Christians, we don't even ask the question. We jump immediately to defending our president or defending our agenda or defending whatever. And and what would it, how would it be better for us to step back and say, okay, maybe this needed to happen, but man, I'm a little less because... How sad that we live in a world that people, that this had to happen, had to take place. It's interesting that you bring up Bonhoeffer because I actually turned to Bonhoeffer this week just in thinking about uh, the situation of so many of the Christians that I am close to just really defending the government. And um, Adolf Hitler stood up and talked about the destiny of God in bringing about his reign, Hitler's reign. Like Hitler actually invoked the divine to say this is God's will that this is happening. And so many people in America are doing the same thing today with our 
with our, our current president saying, you know, this is the will of God. And Bonhoeffer came to a place of great humility saying, humbly, I don't, I can't say with confidence what the will of God is. And I'm scared to death to say what the will of God is. Even as you mentioned, being a part of the assassination attempt, that was, man, uh, that was so difficult for him, not only because obviously, (laughs) I mean, if you're plotting to kill Adolf Hitler, like you're risking your own life, but because in his ethics, he really honestly struggled with what is the best thing to do in this moment and in my life. And why Bonhoeffer is such a good person for anyone to look at at any point in history is because he's a, he's a Christian who humbly and honestly wrestled with what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Like what in the world does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Because very few people are actually asking that question. I'm, I'm torn up. I, I'm, I'm very sad by the reality that I experienced that, that so many people who say that they're a Christian really in their lifestyle are living so much more for themselves or for their group, for their tribe, than they're actually living for Jesus, the one who came and gave his life for them. And just like, just like in his day, I mean, Jesus didn't fit in any religious or political category well. That's why he was crucified by both the church and the state. Nobody wanted him. I mean, he didn't do anything for anybody. You know, and I, I wonder, I, I just continually wonder how, how does Jesus impact the way that I'm living? Anytime somebody from a political party pats me on the back and says, I helped push their agenda, I wince. Mm. I think to myself, oh man, I'm not sure that I was acting on behalf of Jesus in this situation, right? So I think just to wrap it all up, once again, if Jesus is the example that we are seeking to emulate, if Jesus is the example that we are trying to, to 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 follow after him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, if he's the example, I think as Christians, the way that we journey through this election season, the way we journey through these stories about the world leaders and all the things going on, I think we would serve ourselves and our Lord and, and Savior Jesus better if we were humble. And and we seem to reference this passage a lot, but I think it just speaks, as we're talking about these issues, it seems to be the best model of who Jesus was, you know, the Philippians 2, who, you know, and, and Paul even exhorts us to have the same mind that Christ Jesus had, who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And it seems like too often that we as Christians, we want to be right, we want to be in power, we want to, to, to set the agenda, and we like it when other people puff us up from political parties, but how do we, how do we maybe have a a more humble, graceful approach and, and be able to say words like, I don't know if this was the right thing and not, or I, I might've been wrong. Yeah. And, and how do we have that approach rather than, no, we got it all figured out. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 